This morning, I want to give you a riddle and um, just ask you to be thoughtful about it. So here's the question. Do you ever do the wrong thing for the right reason? So just think about, is that maybe the explanation of that trouble I got myself into? I, I was doing the wrong thing for the right reason. That's kind of tricky. It's easy to identify someone who is doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason. Vladimir Putin is doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason. He's wanting to build an empire, and God is against empire building. So the wrong thing being done for the wrong reason. Without question, that's that situation. We want to become people who do the right thing for the right reason. And that's pretty intuitive, but it really does become more tricky as life gets more and more complicated. And so just sometimes it's a helpful thing to kind of sort through what I'm doing, how I'm responding, what I'm saying, and to ask myself, do I have the right reason, but am I doing the wrong thing? And if so, that's a tragedy because I do have the right reasons, but I've done the wrong thing. So, of course, we're coming back to Saul, who I think we might be willing to concede was doing the wrong thing for the right reason. He was very zealous for his faith. He was a learned Pharisee. He had been schooled at the feet of the most famous Pharisee that there was, Gamaliel. Um, he did everything right. He gives a litany in one of his letters where he says all of the things that he could boast about. Um, say he was circumcised at this age and he was, and on and on. So he says, if anyone has a reason to boast about the things he has accomplished, I've got more reason. But actually, I've discovered that those right reasons became the wrong things. And what I was leaning on, what I was depending on, what I was really righteous about, actually was the wrong track. So we're going through the, um, the lectionary assigned readings and acts um, as we think about the adventure that began in the, the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the passage that describes what happened to Saul. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and I think it's curious that the way is identified there. You're going to hear a lot about the way, practicing the way, the rhythms of the way. And that's how the early church was characterized um, by the writers about the church and those who were part of it. They would simply have said that they were part of the way. Maybe they were remembering that Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. But it'd be kind of cool uh, to just say, well, um, when people ask you what's your faith or what church you go to, if you just say, well, I'm, I'm following the way. You know, surely it'll prompt some other question, like, well, what does that mean? Is that Catholic or Protestant or Jewish or something else? No, it's the way. that What early followers of Jesus understood, when he was the way, he, he was the explanation, he was the directions, he was all of those things. So Saul knew that they were called uh, these people of the way, and he 
tried to find out where they were, and he wanted to know, because he was going to go to Damascus, where they are in Damascus. And he set off with his entourage, and they were on the road on the way to Damascus. He was wanting to take them prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, if you've ever heard directly from God, um, surely you would say, okay, that's pretty clear, I will do what I'm told. Well, Ananias had a bit of a hiccup. He said, wait a minute. Was that, was that a real vision? Is that really what I heard? And he said, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered him. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. It's an incredible story. I mean, it's familiar to us, but just try to go back onto that road and get into the sandals of this Saul, who is, I mean, he's fuming. He's, he's, he's just feeling in his, in his mind, in his heart, a hatred for these people. Who, who were heretics. They, they had abandoned their real faith as, as Jewish. Um, th those people who knew God, those people who were favored by God, those people that God would deliver, um, th these people, what's to be done with them? Well, the only thing that was, you know, at his recourse was to go and find them and arrest them and throw them into jail. And so here he was, and maybe planning how he's going to find them, where he's going to go, uh, how many and how many soldiers he's going to need to take with him. And suddenly there's this blinding light from heaven, and a voice from heaven talks to him. Right. So we know the story, but that's incredible. 
here he is on the road. He's blinded by this light, and a voice talks to him. And only he hears the words. The people that are with him, they hear that there's a voice, but they don't know what the voice is saying. And he's blinded. And it has to be led into Damascus. And he's kind of hiding away, having had this incredible experience, this revelation of Jesus. And he's, he's just trying to process, well, what's going to happen to me? And Ananias, in the meantime, gets a word from the Lord. And Ananias finally obediently goes and says, I'm Saul, brother Saul, which must have been kind of those, one of those hard things to say. <laughs> brother Saul, the one that was persecuting the, the followers of the way that he could find. Brother Saul, I'm to lay hands on you so that you can see and for you to receive the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary asked the question that I think is appropriate. Who are the people that we might think today that we know um, that if they were to become Christians, we would be really, really shocked? Or we hear testimonies, and they're those kind of stellar testimonies that everybody wanted to have. So that when you give that testimony to people, it's, it's a great story about what was all that was wrong in your life and then how you became a Christian, and it all became right in your life. Many years ago, my mom um, gave me a letter that I wrote when I was, I think, 12 or 13 years old. And it was my testimony. So my testimony said that before I knew Jesus, I used to drink and smoke and go to the cinema. Those were three things Christians shouldn't do, apparently. And so I said, that's what I used to do. But when I was five, I was saved and never smoked or drank or went to the cinema again. I just wanted a testimony. I wanted some story that would make sense. The question that practically comes um, from God's intervention in Saul's life is how and when does God do that sort of thing? Because we would all love to see miracles. We'd all love to see healings. We'd all love to see people raised from the dead. We'd all love to see our, our pagan friends um, have an experience of a light from heaven and that Jesus would just talk to them. We'd all love that. And sometimes God does those things. But more often than not, he doesn't. So how do we make sense of what God is likely to do? And as soon as we begin to do that, we're in trouble because we shouldn't be able to predict what God will do. We, we can't re reduce God to a formula. We, we cannot be reductionists. We can't say, there, now I know anything. We should always be in the process of questioning and coming to an answer and then questioning the answer. We, we're all, we, should, we should be like that as we are followers on the way. But sometimes God does intervene in human history. And from what I think we can understand, it goes something like this. God made us, God made the world and everything in it. He made the sun and the stars and the moon and, the, and the, all of the galaxies. And, and he did all of that and we broke it. Like we broke the world. Um, 
a lot of times people say, if God is a God of love, I don't understand why, and, and finish the sentence. And it's like God is looking at us and listening and saying, well, you broke it. So why are you blaming me for it? Because you broke it. And because we broke it, we live, um, I sometimes describe it as we have pulled the roof down on our heads. And, and the rubble is indiscriminately hitting us as we try to make our way through life. Why does something happen to one person and not another? We don't know. Um, there's not a, oh, I know now why God did this to me. It's because I did this way back. And Well, no, God doesn't do things to you. God uses what happens to you for his purposes. Um, sometimes he actually does wonderful things, like heals you, um, like answers your prayer, like m makes miracles happen in your life. But for the most part, we broke a world that needs to be fixed. And, and, and that's why we want to press hard into what does it mean to really know Jesus, like to... To, to be like him, can we actually expect to do the things that Jesus did? Well, we can, because the answer to the brokenness in our world, um, the fact that the world is broken and was broken by us, has been addressed by the one act that God has, has brought to bear, where in his son, he has died in his creation to set free his, his whole created uh, people from the brokenness of their sin and even the effects of their sin in this world. And the kingdom of heaven, the, the kingdom of God, is coming and it's already here. And we're, we're in between people because the kingdom is coming I think I thought, and so did Andrew in our theological upbringing, that that was something later, that we would live this life as well as we could, try to be as good as we could, try to grow as much as we can. But actually, there's not going to be any evidence of the kingdom of God until Jesus returns and restores everything. And it's all then. And then we began to have a bit of a change in our thinking and understood that the kingdom is already arriving. Um, both Jesus and John the Baptist said, repent and believe because the kingdom of God is near. Um, I, I thought that meant a temporal sense that the kingdom of God was near on the calendar, but it was still something that was going to happen later. Near means close by. Near means you can reach through to the kingdom of God. Um, Celtic thinking, like Irish people, thinks about thin places. They're places where the kingdom of God, the realm of God, actually is discernible in this creation. That, that we can see the kingdom of God beginning to emerge. And the more we live like Jesus, the more then we become um, the body of Jesus, the more what he said would happen will, which is that greater things than these you will do. Great, we are told that we will do greater things than Jesus. You think that, that's, that was a bit of an understatement or an overstatement, right? It's not. Because if, 
if what needed to be done has fully been done, then God has surely begun to recreate in us, through us, and all around us. And so the situation with Saul was one of those times that God intervened in the in-between time. And he will still intervene these days in my life and in your life. But when? I think the thing about what Saul was doing was that God's eternal purpose, like God's plan, um, that through the, the nation of Israel, um, belief would come, faith would come, and then would be sort of dispensed into all the nations, um, Saul was in the way of what God wanted to accomplish. So, so God took his being in the way, out of the way, and said, no, you're not going to get away with that. You're not going to keep on doing that. Because where I'm going, I will go sovereignly, and I will go powerfully, and as mighty as you think you are, Saul, you can't stop me. You can't stop God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. And, and that is just you know, the rock-solid truth, that God is God and we are not, and that God will do what he wants to do. He will have what he wants to have. And there, there's never been a moment um, through the, the whole history of humanity where God has sort of wrung his hands and said, look what they're doing now. How am I going to fix that? How Nothing surprises him. We are broken in the middle of brokenness. And God says, but even through your brokenness, where I need to, I will correct when I need to stop someone, I will stop that person. And I will move ahead with those things that are in my heart and in my mind as my eternal purpose. We're part of that. And we're not waiting for it to happen. We're wondering how it can happen as we get to know Jesus more and, and live in Jesus more and more. And I promise you that in some of your circumstances, the person that now comes to mind that you think would never, you'll be surprised that God sometimes takes pleasure in just saying, yeah, I think I will reach into him or her and let him or her know that their agenda is wrong and they will come over into my agenda. So. We would like to do the right thing for the right reason. Um, and as we grow into Christ, we become those kinds of people. The world in which we're living is broken, broken, broken. Um, Vladimir Putin will not get away with his empire because you can't. You, you can't defy God. Ultimately, you can't. And in the meantime, um, God will do some things that later on I know we will look back and say, even in the middle of that war, in the middle of that atrocity, look what God did. Because it's his plan that will finally be absolutely accomplished. Why don't we pray? Father, some faces come to mind now for us about people that we've maybe tried to talk to, maybe tried to influence. And there seems to be a hardness or 
a defiance, or, or just even an indifference. And so it would surprise us to hear that they had come to know Jesus. We, we would long for it, and we'll keep praying for it. But Father, um, just quicken that hope in our prayers. For moms that are here who care and pray for their children, for dads, um, for lost ones that seem quite lost to us. Just show us enough of the narrative of the Bible and um, allow us to tell one another enough stories that our faith together um, is, is enlivened. And we, we thank you, Father, that all of this is rooted in the truth that Jesus is alive, and that means everything is different and can be different and will be. So we just pray, Father, that you will um, use the story of Saul to remind us that there's nothing um, that you can't reach. And give us the strength and the faith and the perseverance in the meantime, in Jesus' name.